Hello, I'm Todd Starnes, lead pastor of Odessa First Assembly, and I'm grateful that you joined us today. I hope and pray that this message will encourage you and bless you. And remember, you can find more information about us at odessafirstassembly.com. God bless you. Two portions of Scripture we're going to look at, John chapter 14 and verse 19. And then we're going to look at John chapter, or Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. John 14, 19 and Romans 8, 11. So in John 14, 19, it says this, Yet a little while, this is Jesus talking here, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, and he gives the reason why, because I live, you will also live. And then we see in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the, his spirit who dwells in you. What an awesome couple of promises. I just want to just break apart just very quickly this morning. But you know, in Easter, uh, so many Easter messages we've done, you know, we've illustrated, we've done, we've done dramas, we've done illustrated sermons, we've done, uh, we've done uh, musicals, and I, I was even thinking this morning of, uh, I came across a song of one that we used a while back, and I, I don't know if some of you remember this, but we, it was an illustrated sermon, and uh, we had many of our fa- church family that's from Cameroon and Nigeria, and, and they dressed in their uh, African dress, and that's how we did the, the Hosanna, the procession. It was like 40 in that parade. I'll never forget. I thought that was such a beautiful moment. We've illustrated those things and done those things, and, it, I, and it's powerful to see it. It's powerful when you see that illustrated, and it shows the power of the gospel. But I want you to know this morning, and maybe there's someone here that I'd be speaking to this morning, is that the far majority of historical scholars tell us that there was an historical Jesus, that Jesus actually lived in the first century. Now, I'm going to tell you that the Discovery Channel does not qualify as historically scholarly. That's entertainment value. They put some stuff about Jesus, and it's like, oh. Anyway, but I digress. So we know that there's been even atheists, those that do not believe in God, have, have, have said, yes, there was a historical Jesus. But what we believe in is not just an historical Jesus. We believe in the one who is, who was, and is to come. We believe in the Alpha and the Omega. We believe in the beginning and the end. We believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we believe that he is the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. He is Jesus Christ, the one risen from the grave, that now sits at the right hand of the Father. And it's what separates us as believers and Christians from any other world religion. We have the defining moment of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we're just like any other. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. Without the resurrection, death has not been conquered. But Jesus is exactly who he said he was, and he did exactly what he said he would do. That he suffered and died and 
upon the cross. And then he was taken off that cross and placed in that tomb. And on the third day he rose again. He is risen. Some of you are following me. All right. He is risen indeed. And so many attack our faith. And we really see the setup at the beginning in the New Testament of trying to discredit what happened at the resurrection. And you can read that. I don't know if you know this. I mean, we, we, we're kind of in a day, there are all kinds of, you know, conspiracy theorists. I, I, I might be one myself on certain things, but we see kind of something being set up in Matthew chapter 28, the conspiracy theory that Christ was, did not rise from the grave. And we see in Matthew 28, 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that they had taken place. When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, but gave, and they gave a significant sum of money to the soldiers. Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money, did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. I mean, it's amazing to me that so many do not believe in the resurrection. I'm going to tell you, the resurrection, it's, just, it's more than just us dressing up. It's more than just having a Easter Sunday. It's more than, it's more than eggs and, and candy and, and, and Cadbury eggs, which are my favorite, by the way. Hint. It's more than that. It's so much more. We are celebrating a risen Savior. We are celebrating the victory over death, hell, and the grave. It's just not just a, a wonderful story or, or even just a story about a, an amazing miracle. I mean, this is, this is historically accurate. It's, it's a spiritual account of the miracle of Christianity, and it ties together the strands of our faith. There was a man, scientist Henry Morris. Henry Morris is a scientist, and he said this, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christ Christianity is a false religion. If it did take place, then Christ is God and the Christian faith is absolute truth. And so we see in Acts, even the scripture speaks towards this, the proof of this. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, we see that Jesus, he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And there's two words I really want to emphasize to you this morning, is that many proof. Matter of fact, some translations say many infallible truths. Uh, proofs, but I want to just focus in on many proofs. And I don't know if you have your Bible, if you're a Bible writer, scribbler, I am, but what I want you to do is I want you to underline many, and I want you to circle proofs because the emphasis of those two words in that scripture is I, now I'm, I, I've never been accused of being the sharpest tool in the shed, ever. My wife thinks I'm a smart one. She's trying to encourage. She's trying to encourage me. But the last time, I, I mean, I, I'm just, many means many. I know, right? You just learned something you didn't even know. Many means many. Many means more than one. I, many means more than two. Many means many. 
And so we see here in Scripture many, and then here's the next word, proofs. And what's important about that word is the meaning of that word is saying that it was enough evidence that could be presented to the courts. And so there is much evidence that can be presented saying that Jesus was alive and him talking about what he has suffered and appearing these 40 days. He presented himself alive. And so I want to talk just for a few moments about that, the proof. The proof. So the first thing is the fulfilled prophecy. We talked about last week about those odds of prophecy and the predictions we read in the Old Testament being fulfilled. I mean, some of you remember that, about the odds of, of eight prophecies being fulfilled, the odds of 48 prophecies about Jesus being fulfilled, the odds of 450 prophecies being fulfilled. Matter of fact, if you were to take, uh, just, if you were to take eight of the 450 prophecies about Jesus, and you were to spread silver dollars all across the state of Texas, two feet thick, and marked one of them, that maybe you just painted one of them red. And you were to tell, and you, you know, I mean, some of you are dominoes players, I bet, and you shake them all up, you write it all up, and you tell a guy, find the one out of all those silver dollars that's marked. There you have a greater chance, I mean, it's, that's astounding to me, right? I mean, are you picturing this? And so, for a man to fulfill eight prophecies, you would have a greater chance on finding that silver dollar. That's amazing to me. And yet, he just didn't fulfill eight or 48, but more than 450. That doesn't happen by accident. That is not something that happens by coincidence. That is the divine plan of God. And we see in the Old Testament of things prophesied about him. One of them is in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 5. And I, if, if, you, if you enjoy studying your Bible, I want to encourage you to do something right here. We're going to read this passage, verses 3 through 5 in Isaiah 53. And, and this passage will be familiar to some of you. But listen to me. You can take every phrase of this passage and, and track it into the New Testament and seeing it being fulfilled and spoken about. Again, to me, that is powerful about the infallible Word of God. But Isaiah 53, it says this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their face. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And then we get to verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. What a powerful promise of scripture and yet Jesus fulfilled every one of those through the stripes on his back through the crown of thorns upon his head through the spear in his side through him being upon the cross every single one of them he fulfilled and of his resurrection we see even predictions I didn't you know I didn't I don't know if you know this but that the old testament speaks 
of Christ rising again. And one example simply is Hosea chapter 6 and verse 2, written hundreds of years before the actual event. And it says, after two days he'll revive us. On the third day he'll raise up that we may live before him. That was a specific prophecy about Jesus coming out of the grave. And so I want to say it again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And not only that, we don't just see it in the Old Testament, but we see Jesus predicting it. And I'm going to read us a few verses, and they really come from what um, Jesus' enemies were saying about him. The chief priests and the religious of the day of, of things they heard Jesus say. I thought it was interesting. I thought it would be really good this morning to talk about not just what Jesus said about him himself, but what his enemies said Jesus said about him himself if you're following so one of them is in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 61 he said the this man said right this is the religious of the day he said I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days he's talking about his death and his resurrection and Matthew 27 63 sir we remember how that imposter Here's one of the chief priests talking about Jesus. We remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Even Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection. And Jesus, you know, we know that he used parables. We know that he used stories when he talked and and communicated uh, to his disciples and those that followed him. And one of them was he talked about in, in, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus talks about, he he about his death and resurrection being just like Jonah. How many remember, you know, from, you remember Jonah and, well, I mean, I grew up thinking it was a whale. I mean, it was like eye-opening when I realized it, you know, it was a great fish. But anyway, so Jonah and the great fish, but Jesus even refers to that, that Jonah was in that belly of that great fish for three days. And he said, the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. I mean, Jesus is talking about his death and his resurrection. And not just that, but we also have eyewitnesses. Listen to me. I, I don't, my intent, hopefully, uh, hopefully this doesn't bore you. And I'm not going to get really deep into this. But when you look at the historical aspect of Scripture, when you look at the historical aspect of the New Testament, it's amazing to me that all the, you know, when, when somebody's looking at the writing of history, even way back in the first century and, and before that, I mean, historians have like this checklist of things that have to match up. And there is no historical writing that compares to the New Testament. None. And, and yet, our world at large seems to, we see all these, these uh, uh, historical writings and, and we take them as fact and they want to discredit Scripture when yet Scripture according to their own, are you following me this morning? Uh, scripture according to their own tests, their own check marks, their own check boxes far out exceed any other historical document. But number two, we have the eyewitnesses. Following the resurrection, Jesus remained on earth for 40 days after he came out of the grave. And he, he, he mingled and he taught and he, he spoke to his disciples. These same disciples that doubted what Jesus was trying to tell them when he was living before the cross. I mean, so many of them. Matter of fact, one is in Matthew chapter 16. And, and this happens right after. And Matthew 16 is so rich with so much 
and you know something that specific happens you know Jesus asks him who do you say that I am and and the disciples say well you know some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or like one of the prophets and then Peter and well Jesus asks again who do you say that I am and Peter man he you know that bold Peter that he is and he gets it right he says you are the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus says it wasn't flesh that revealed this to you but it was my father in heaven and then right after this Jesus is talking about what he must suffer in his death, and it even says that he's going to be killed and on the third day be risen again. We find that in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. And then Peter takes Jesus aside, it tells us in verse 22, and he says, this shall never happen to you. I mean, even the disciples doubted what Jesus was saying. James, uh, Jesus' half-brother, doubted in John chapter seven thomas we see we we call him doubting thomas because he wanted proof he wanted to put his hands in his side and see the scars upon his hand you read that in john 20 and so even the disciples doubted what jesus was saying but yet christ overcame it all and held to what he said what he predicted about his own death and resurrection but there's a third proof right we're talking about many so my mini this morning is three. We make it simple. So the third proof is this, is that the power of the resurrection to change lives, that is a proof to us. There are lives across this room that it was an encounter with Jesus that changed your life. And so you are the proof of the resurrection. Did you hear me? You are the proof of the resurrection. What God is doing inside of you, does that mean we're perfect? No. Does that mean we always get it right? No. But I'm going to tell you, His resurrection power is at, is at work within you. I mean, that's what Romans 8, 11 is telling us, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work within us. You are the proof of the resurrection. John Stott, he's this... He's a guy that lived a long time ago, but you guys know that I like quotes. I love quotes. I'm always looking for quotes. And, and John Stott, he said this, Perhaps the transformation of the disciples of Jesus is the greatest evidence of all the resurrection. Now, I just want to interject right here. I, he's talking, of course, about the disciples that walked with Jesus. But you see, we are also disciples of Christ. We are also disciples of Jesus. And we can easily put ourselves right here in this quote perhaps the transformation of the disciples you of jesus is the greatest evidence of all the resurrection it was the resurrection that transformed peter's fear and the courage james doubt in the faith it was the resurrection that changed the sabbath into sunday and the jewish remnant into the christian church it was the resurrection that changed saul the pharisee into paul the apostle and turned his persecuting and the preaching i'm going to tell you that God's work is within you. The, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit that dwells in you. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but just follow with me. I mean, when you look through scripture and where the Holy Spirit was at work, the same spirit that hovered the waters in Genesis the same spirit 
that gave life to Adam when God breathed life into his lungs. The same spirit that moved the, pro the prophets to prophesy about Jesus in the Old Testament over 450 times. The same spirit that Zechariah talked about that it said it wouldn't be by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord. The same spirit that anointed Joseph to interpret dreams that saved e Egypt. The same spirit that empowered all the judges that you read in the book of Judges like Deborah and Gideon, the same spirit that descended like a dove at Jesus' baptism, the same spirit that Jesus talked about in John 14 and John 16 that called the spirit of truth and of comfort, that advocate, that teacher, that guide, the same spirit spirit that rolled away the stone from the tomb and caused life to come into Christ's dead body and to come out of that grave is the same spirit at work within you. The same one. There's only one spirit and he's at work in you today. Listen, I know sometimes we look at ourselves and we see how far that we still have to go. But I'm going to tell you, I know how far that some of you have come. Some of, sometimes we look at ourselves and we think of how much we get wrong. But I'm going to tell you, you're getting something right by being here this morning and allowing God to do His work within you. There may be some that are, maybe you're, you're, you're living your past mistakes too much. But I'm going to tell you that God is not done with you yet. He's not finished with you. He's still working in you. It's worth it to stick it out and to, and, to, and to move through all of it, all the trial, all the trouble, all the tribulation, and allow the Spirit of God to have His way in you. And so that Spirit we see in Romans 8, 11, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, it quickens, it strengthens our mortal body. And so there's something that doesn't, when that resurrection power is that work within us, I want you to know that it brings to you healing. It, I believe in healing. I believe in the miracle working power of God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the grave. I mean, it, he called four days dead, right? You remember the story of Lazarus? Four days dead in that tomb and Jesus says roll away the stone and oh Lord he, he, he stinks and yet Jesus still calls out Lazarus come forth that, that same redeemer that Job writes about if you've ever read the book of Job that says even though that my God may slay me my redeemer lives and because of that spirit at work the Holy Spirit you can know complete healing in your body I know, listen, I, I understand. I, I know sometimes it doesn't happen the way we think it should happen. I know sometimes it seems like we've got to wait for it, but I don't care what it is. You need to know when we read Isaiah 53, 3 through 5, like we did just a few moments ago, he carried every sickness, he carried every grief. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Listen to me. Whatever it is, whether it's your body, whether it's your spirit, or it's your mind, God can do it. God can do it. I, there's something I believe that all evil came on Jesus when on the cross. All evil came on Jesus so that all good might be available to you. I believe that. And so he pays for healing. We see the scripture in, in 1 Peter 2.24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. But then it says this, it's taken from Isaiah 53.5, 
by his wounds you have been healed. The other thing that he works in us through his spirit is hope. I think we're living in a time that people more than ever are struggling and contending with hope in so many ways, whether it be financially, whether it be emotionally or relationally. I mean, there really seems to be an attack on hope in our society. Hope is a strong belief that something will happen. Hope is looking forward with assurance, knowing that it's going to happen. Hope, it brings life. And I love the promise in Romans 5, 5. It says what? And hope does not put us to shame. Let me tell you another way. Other translations say that. Our hope will not be disappointed. Sometimes we find it difficult to hope again because we feel like our hope has been dashed so many times. But listen to me, church. Listen to me. Any promise that God has given, He will fulfill. Any promise that God has given, He will fulfill. Any promise that God has given, He will fulfill. He'll do it. I know it doesn't happen on our time frame sometimes. I know that doesn't happen by our watch. But His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. And God's Word will not return void. It will accomplish what it's sent out to do. And the third thing is this, is, is holiness. And I know I, I've kind of touched on this a few times the last few weeks, even, even months. And when we hear the word holiness, it kind of, sometimes our guard kind of goes up, you know. Sometimes we, we, it's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But I, listen, it's an undeniable fact that our scriptures teach us about holiness and how to live holy. But see, here's the thing. So many people have bought the lie that they can't live for God, and I'm here to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell, and you can, because it is the power of the Holy Spirit, that same power that raised Christ from the dead that's at work in you. Oh, some of you didn't catch that. I said that power that brought Christ out of the grave is the same power at work within you and you can live for God. What we have to understand is really what that word holiness means. I mean that holiness, we're not talking about a laundry list, right? We're not talking about how much we do right and how much we do wrong. We're, 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 what we're talking about is, yes, living according to His Word, but I'm going to tell you, don't believe the lie of the enemy that you can't. Don't believe that the, the, what the world is trying to tell you that these but this belief system is outdated because it's in this truth that you'll ever know real freedom and what holiness means is to be whole is to be made whole spirit body and mind and yet we see even this morning as I, just verses i've read is that god does just that that he mends broken hearts he mends broken hearts. He saves us from our sin. He renews our mind, our way of thinking. God, he, he brings healing to our body. God does it. God does it. We read the scripture, and I'm going to tell you where holiness begins. I'm going to tell you where it starts. Yet, I, what we believe is, is when we come to Christ... And we ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. I mean, we believe there's an instant, we call it sanctification. I know it's a, a big word, but God, He washes us, man. He makes us clean. He, he makes us brand new. And there's, there's an instant work that takes place of our sin being forgiven. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if I confess my sin, He is just enabled 
to forgive my sins, to cleanse me of my sin in all unrighteousness. That is the power of his work because his promises were sealed, not just by the prophecy spoken or the promise given, but that he came out of the grave like he said he would. It put a seal, it put a stamp on all those promises that they're going to come to pass. And so when we come to Christ and we ask for forgiveness of our sin, he washes us, he cleanses us. He, uh, all of our impurities, all that dross, all those mistakes, all of that junk, but yet there's also a continuing work that takes place. We have a saying here that I really try to instill into us is that growing people change. Listen, if you are in Christ, I, some of us, you know what, it's just like, did anybody, you know, when you took a test in school, I mean, was there that one person that was like the first one done all the time, no matter what test, and you're sitting there and you're like, how do they do? I mean, I'm not even question two yet. Anybody, nobody? Or, or, no, I know what this group is. Y'all were the first one done, and so you don't know my pain. Is that what it is? You, you were the first one done? I'm going to tell you, listen to me. Sometimes our spiritual walk and maturity with God, we're all just different. Uh, this is for free right now. I didn't even say this this morning. We're all going to grow and mature at different paces. We really are. So don't compare yourself with how you perceive your neighbor across the church or their life because God's doing his work in you. Now, should that be an excuse for us to kind of kick against the golds and you know, not be submissive or willing for him to, no, that, no we, don't, we don't need to use that as an excuse. We need to be fully submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit into our life. But I'm going to tell you where the road to holiness begins. You'll find it in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. And I, I just want to skip to that last portion of Scripture, and it says this, And everyone thus hopes in him, what? Purifies himself. Your hope in Him is where that road begins. And the last thing that I'm going to talk about this morning and that I want to close with, because I'm talking about our, that our mortal bodies being quickened and that work of the Holy Spirit within us. And this is so important to listen to in the next few moments. Because I want everyone in this room to experience this one with, without a doubt, without any question. Is heaven. Is heaven. You see, Christ was the firstborn. Christ was the one that paved the way for us all to experience what we saw happen with Jesus. You see, it's just not for Jesus to have that resurrected life, but it's for all of us to have the resurrected life. And we experience that now here today through so many, many things I've been talking about is our forgiveness of sin, our healing of our bodies, our, I mean, th these encounters with God and the Holy Spirit that, that we have. All that happens because of a resurrected Savior. But God never stops there. Do you hear me this morning? God never stops there because that same resurrection life is at work within us when we submit our lives to him you see I'm gonna tell you and I don't mean to be a downer on Easter Sunday but you know there's uh, 
There's a saying, I know many of you know this saying, but two things are certain, death and taxes. You know, I, just, I celebrated a birthday Friday, and part of that reflection is I begin to realize that probably I have less in front of me than what I have behind me. And there's some in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, it's like the older you get, man, life just, it just speeds up. It just gets faster. It just gets faster. But see, I also know this, because Jesus, it's more than just the predictions and the prophecy of what he said he would do, but it, it really resides. It really um, is established on the fact of his resurrection. And because of that resurrection, it's, yeah, we gain salvation and we gain healing and so many things, but I want you to know you are a eternal being. You are going to live forever. I mean, I, I don't have time now to go all through Scripture and, and talk about this, but it's a great Bible say, but listen, you're an eternal being. The thing is this, is that you're going to spend eternity somewhere. You're going to spend eternity in punishment, or you're going to spend eternity in eternal life. And what opens the door for us to experience that eternal life is the resurrection of Jesus. Because that same spirit that works that resurrection power in Jesus, when we come to faith in Jesus, that same power is at work within us. And the scripture tells us something. The Bible tells us that there will be a day when the rapture of the church is going to happen. And my focus this morning is not necessarily the rapture but that scripture tells us something it says that the dead in Christ will rise you know I we uh, I really didn't feel this moved earlier but I, I just really sense just the work of the Holy Spirit this morning I you know as I just reflect on our year as a family the Starnes family we I feel like, it, it may not be the case, but it feels like since December, I've been to more funerals than I, than I have in years, in just these few months. And, and I, I can't remember what our conversation was, but I remember to Shaylee just at one point, um, we were walking together and she just leaned over, she said, Dad, I'm so tired of funerals. <laughs> I was like, I know exactly what you mean, babe. I know, I, I hear you. Why am I talking like this? Because here's what I want you to know is that whether you hear the trump of God or the archangel shout and you're the ones that remain and get caught up or that you come to the end of your lifespan and you go by the grave, you can still experience the resurrected life. Because whether I'm cremated or natural or whatever happened, I've told Angel so many times, just cremate me and put me in one of my deer feeders. And just let the life cycle go on. Just let it be cheap. I can just gather around my deer feeder and, you know, say a prayer. But here's what I know. Is I'm going to live forever. And it's not about streets of gold. It's not about mansions. It's not about pearly gates. I'm going to get to be with Jesus. I'm going to get to be with Jesus. It's about him. It's that the Lamb of God deserves the reward of his suffering. 
and I'm going to live forever. It may happen. You may read in my obituary, PT died, uh, whatever reason, blah, 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 blah. Here's the dash mark of all of his life in one little paragraph. I'm going to tell you, you don't believe what that obituary tells you because I'm going to be more alive at that moment than I've ever been. Why? Because of the resurrected life. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that this message was an encouragement to you. Remember, you can find more about us at odessafirstassembly.com and also across the social media platforms. It is our prayer that God blesses you, keeps you, sustains you. And if you're ever in the area of the Permian Basin, come and join us at Odessa First Assembly. God bless you.